Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. On today's episode, Robin and Josie chat to the brilliant comedian, actor, writer, broadcaster, Katie Wicks. But before we get to the episode, thanks as always to our Patreon supporters. This week, Patreon supporters will get a bonus 20 minutes of Robin, Josie and Katie on the Patreon edition, as well as access to all the different bits and pieces like tips for existence and an uncanny hour and live streams and behind the scenes recordings and all sorts of stuff. So if you'd like to support the podcast, get all of that, go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. That really helps us out as, well, you know this by now, we haven't done uh, any shows for well over a year. So your Patreon support means the worlds to us. I said worlds there. I am obviously just referring to this world, but if you do happen to be listening to Book Shambles uh, from somewhere other than Earth, accidentally said worlds there. I did just mean world, um, this world specifically. But if you are listening to Book Shambles on on another world, we'd appreciate your support on Patreon as well. Um, Patreon does everything in your local currency, so I'm sure it'll work it out somehow. Anyway... If you can't support us on Patreon, that's fine. You can still listen to the show for free each week. Do go onto Apple Podcasts and rate and review five stars, though it takes a couple of seconds and it is greatly appreciated. Enough of that babble. Let's get on to this week's conversation with Katie Wicks, author of the new book, Delicacy, talking to Robin and Josie. Oh, and I should also point out that this episode was uh, actually recorded at the end of January, so there might be a couple of things that are more relevant and appropriate to that time. Anyway, here is Robin and Josie and Katie. Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. It is a trying time, uh, but luckily we get to talk to interesting people about their beautiful works of art, and today is no different. So uh, I'm very excited to welcome our guest. Uh, she is a comedian. She is an actor. She is a writer. She's a broadcaster. We we just love to call people broadcasters. Um, Katie Wicks, it's so nice to have you here. And I it's really exciting. Like broadcaster. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It makes everyone feel like Melvin Bragg. Sophisticated. It's a bit like satirist. Yeah, it, now though it's kind of caught between, somewhere between Melvin Bragg and Gemma Collins, is what we <laughs> feel like as, as broadcasters now. So no, that, that, that's I'd roughly what we are. We're, we're many different things. Um, this is going to be, yes, yeah, so Josie, you can do all the upbeat stuff because you didn't allow me to have the downbeat beginning, which would have got it all off my chest. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I don't know whether we should go straight in with you, but I, I mean, this is something that we've asked a few people before. But as I was saying earlier on, this is the, um, you know, in January, it's kind of a grey time. And I know that we've had a lot of discussions with different people who've reacted in different ways in terms of creativity yeah. to this kind of, you know, strange solitude, having, you know, most of us normally being able to go off and show off to strangers. Yeah. Um, and then now it's kind of this very you know, isolated environment. How did you find that? Was this book, did you write it during uh, the lockdown? I've finished it during lockdown. Um, I'm quite lucky in that uh, I always, I feel a bit psychopathic when I sort of say, well, my lockdown wasn't so bad because I feel like you're meant to keep that to yourself. But life wasn't, it wasn't all that different for me because, you know, isolating is like my coping mechanism for reality. So it wasn't so bad. No, I started it, it took about two years to write because, um, like dramatic things kept on happening in my life. So I kept having to stop and then include, ask for time off and then include them in the book. Oh. So it, it took, it was kind of life was happening and I was trying to capture it almost at the same time. Um, people died, I had to have major surgery, things like this. And even then I would feel guilty about asking for more time, which is something I need to look at because that's obviously insane. But luckily the publisher was always really understanding. So it took about two and a half years. So I, I just had to finish it during lockdown. So it was sort of, it was a nice little achievement to have in all the, the bleakness. So it was ideal to be finishing a book was sort of ideal with all this solitude. 
Mm. See, it's interesting when you said about, you know, looking into the fact that why should you not just say, I can't do this because yeah. these major things are, because you kind of mentioned that slightly at the beginning of the book as well, which is yeah. that addition of, 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 of guilt at feeling, uh, of, of expressions of anxiety, expressions of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the more negative elements of, I mean, I, it reminded me when you were saying that, I, the, 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 the day before my mum died, when we basically found out she was about to die, I was making an episode of the Radio 4 show I do, Infinite Monkey Cage, and I felt terrible saying to the producer, there's a possibility I might have to leave early because yeah. it turns out she's got... And, and that bit of going, I'm very... You know, because I know you've set everything up and you've got an audience. It's a very odd, isn't it, where the yeah. fear of letting down almost strangers can trump sometimes the commitments that we should have to, you know... The, the most of, of, people. Yeah. It's a strange thing in the way that... Um when death happens it's almost like it's such a kind of crack in normality isn't it that you're still trying to do these very normal polite social things but you've also entered such a surreal bizarre landscape where there's no rules it's like you're trying to do those two things together like this profound thing and then oh i've got to email this person to say this person no longer exists yeah it's really it's really strange um but I also think like there's that thing where there's the almost the initial shock with grief where I think you can carry on. And it's almost like you need time. The real time you need is like a few months later. That's when you start to kind of, that's when it starts to show a bit more. And I sort of feel like it's that thing where it's acceptable to ask for a small amount of time off straight away. And then it's almost less understood if you in six months down the line, you say, actually, now I need that time off that I asked for straight away do you know what I mean I think people really don't they don't expect people other other people to be affected by things in a deep way yeah. like especially with bereavement as well like of course yeah when people have a pet die and it can really really affect them and they're, they're so embarrassed about the way it's affected them but it's like that that the Freudian thing of like that one loss represents all loss and that this small loss may have triggered some other enormous loss and that that's part of why you're reacting to your dog dying or you just have a very intense relationship with your dog that, you know... They're really loving animals. Anyway, I'm, waff I'm waffling, I don't know. You're not no, waffling not at all. I, th I think there is that thing which is... I can't remember whose book I was reading the other day where, again, talking about uh, loss, and it's that moment where you punish something inanimate that all the rage that you take out on a, a printer that's misbehaving or the failure of your phone to dial properly none of that is actually about your anger well some of it's probably still about the uh, incompetent manufacture of that but most of that anger is everything else it's not that object it's the fact that you and it's i find it very interesting that having spoken to a few people who who've studied a lot about our attitudes to death and when i say our attitudes i do actually specifically mean i i, I think the english attitude this has been it is almost the worst of well, of, of, of so i wouldn't know oh so what's your, so your background what would you i'm well i'm i'm welsh 100 percent. i don't know that i know that. I, know, I just don't why don't you do the voice I used to do the voice. I used to sound quite a lot like Charlotte Church when I was in school, just to stop, like, just to fit in. And then the minute I left uh, when I was 18, it just kind of slowly faded. But I still say, like, I was listening back to a podcast the other day and I was talking really quickly and it kind of was coming out then. And, like, I still say, like, tough and, like, union, I'll say. <laughs> I know, it's really... I kind of wish I did sound more Welsh. I feel like it was, yeah... Because it's such a big part of my life, obviously. Um, yeah, I know, not many people know. Like, I did Welsh GCSE. I think I got a B. And then it all just, like, I could go into a shop and maybe order some bread and milk now if I had to in Welsh, but that's about it. Yeah. It's, it's a meal still. That can be a meal. That's the yeah. start of something, More isn't enough, it? enough, isn't it? I, it's interesting with things like that where um, how fluid, like, you can become to fit in with people when things like I've found that my accent like has clung on to whoever I've been around oh my god yeah yeah it's like the classic thing isn't it of trying to like when builders are in trying to sound more like down to earth <laughs> I used to go out with someone who was like not posh but sort of definitely posher than me 
And the only time he ever used the word mate was when he was talking to cab drivers. All cab drivers were his mate. I was like, what? <laughs> Suddenly you got a mate. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really annoying because I think I actually sound posher than I am, but like uh, we, we really weren't, you know. Yeah. When you were a kid, did you want to be a performer? Um, <clears throat> yes and no. I, my parents had trained as actors and then they'd given up when they had kids. So there was this, on the one hand, it was really, really normal. Like everyone was up doing something creative. Um, but it was all very kind of, but it was sort of unfulfilled. So there was, on the one hand, there was a sense of um, like encouraged to be creative, which is really, really rare. But I think they also thought, yes, but it's not really, you can't really, you know, it's not very sensible and it's risky. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think the performing was just like an instinctual thing, but I sort of thought, well, I can't imagine actually having the confidence to do this publicly. Like the first time, the first job I ever got on telly was extras series two. And it was so, it was the David Bowie app. Maybe it's like second job, but it was so, so terrifying that I thought when I left, I thought, and well, I'll, I'll, it's fine. I'll do something else. It's fine. It's fine. Like, I can't do this. My nerves won't, I can't, won't handle it. I mean, that is kind of going into Great the deep end, but can't do it. But that's the extreme deep end to be like, cool. Yeah. Great. Oh, so you've got this acting job. It's just be with David Bowie. Like, yeah, exactly. not, just no, not a big deal. Just. But I just remember very logically being like, that was really fun, but there's no way I'll ever be relaxed doing this. <laughs> Can't do it. Where do you get the dopamine hit from them? In terms of creativity, is there a point, like for instance with writing, is it at the end of the day where you go, oh, that was a really good day's writing? Is it when the book comes out? Is it a reaction to the book? Is there any kind of pattern? Dopamine, that's interesting. Well, it's funny, like, I wrote half of it on antidepressants and half of it off. And I really can see that in the writing. That the, so there's like a weird, there's already like a weird sort of contrast going on with it. I think it's more like relief when it's done before dopamine. And then I think people reading it and starting to get feedback is the, is the dopamine. The, the sheer relief and feeling of satisfaction, I suppose, of having done it, but more like, okay, right, I've uh, I've evaded criticism or pissing off the publisher, I've like, done it. <laughs> Which sounds really depressing. Oh, kind of like, I've got away with it for one more yeah. throw of the dice. Yeah, yeah, like one less email to do today. I've done all, I've, I've accomplished all this huge admin task. <laughs> That's how I feel a bit with Edinburgh shows. Like if I pull off a show and it's good, each night I'm like, we've got away with that one. Yeah, exactly. It's like the it's like the sheer relief. And also the feeling of um before before I wrote the book, there was so much um like grumbling and sort of saying, I should be doing this, why aren't I doing this? And feeling really getting really wound up about people doing stuff or people getting praised for things and then me thinking they're not very good, which is a horrible thing to admit, but you know, all that horrible like bitterness and comparison and blah, blah, blah. And having actually really, really sat down and tried my best to create a piece of work, it feels like, okay, well, I can't, I can't complain now and say, oh, I should do that. I've done it. At least I've done something. That's how it feels. I feel yeah. that way about, oh, sorry, Rebecca. No, no. No, I was just saying, I feel that way about me and my friends having made a film. Every time I'm like, it, it feels like, yeah, we did do it. And I know all the flaws of it. I know all the flaws of it. I know them. <laughs> but it, it, uh, it's that thing of the ideal being sort of brought down to the thing. Yeah. And you've made the thing. And the thing is better than the ideal, but you, you know the thing. <laughs> the thing is a real thing. And learning that it doesn't have to be perfect and that what's more important is sort of putting some work out there in the world and yeah. that at least that's happened and that and that's better than just sitting around planning and getting really worked up about why doing something so in, in terms of criticism are you because there is like when when the internet first became yes, a major is. thing then sorry i thought you were about to say in terms of criticism because there's loads <laughs> 
Oh no, 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 not none of mine. The uh, I, uh, I, I just wondered that because for some people that that point when they would first, you know, if, if they were in any way in the public sphere and they would go on the internet and they would look up their name and they wouldn't yeah. stop until they'd found the negative thing because then yeah. that would mean they'd seen actually what they were and you know that that kind of and in the same way, I think with with authors who it's a different that that point where you might get almost universally great reviews, but then there's that one bad one. Yeah. And that one bad one, or even lukewarm, even the three star, the 60 yeah. percenter, which was fine in a lot of exams. That's the one. And you go, oh, that's so I wondered, where do you are you able to go? Do you know what? I've created something. This is this is I I, I can accept what it is. Or are you someone who will sometimes wait until you find that the net and then go? Ah, yes. The negative voice has seen the truth of me. So hard not to, isn't it? It's. Uh, isn't there a theory like it's the this sort of reptilian looking for danger part of our brain. That's why we hone in on the negative. But like, um, I think what's worse than someone hating it is being misunderstood. That makes me feel so lonely. And that's so frustrating because you can't reach in and go, that's not what it is. Mm. Um, I think if it's something I slightly feel insecure about, I'm devastated. If it's something I'm really secure about, I'm like, they're wrong. Mm. Like I almost feel sorry for them if it's something I love and someone doesn't like it, like I just think, oh, it's fine. We'll just never get on, we're different. Like it doesn't, I'm not threatened by difference if someone hates something. I just don't understand why people don't get that things are subjective. I don't understand why people get so angry about it. I think but it's you, too frightening for people. I think yeah, if you- it may be confusing, <laughs> like, I don't know if you, oh, it sounds really condescending, but I get that if you like Mrs. Brown's boys and then you watch Let's Flats and you go, these aren't normal jokes, that you just think, like, why is this on telly? This is outrageous. This is the best thing on TV. It's my favourite thing. I love it so much. <laughs> oh. I love it so much that I, if someone didn't like it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me. I just think, mm. but all that joy, how are you not seeing all that joy? <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about it, but I, I think all my questions are just going to be like, I love it. Do you love it? Do you know, I just love it so much. I love it. <laughs> Can I check? Is this Mrs. Brown's Boys or the other one? <laughs> no, it's not. That's flat the best show. Okay, okay. I remember um, we used to, me and Crilly and um, like Bridget, if you, we used to run a night at the Wilmington Arms. We used to get about 10 people. But I remember like, I think the most I've ever laughed is, I think Bridget maybe tried out her aunt costume stuff for the first time <laughs> before the ant I can't remember but um yeah bridge just as an ant to 10 people to silence was incredible <laughs> I remember when we used to like play to silence my god we used to get hysterical like it was almost the but we were almost giddy like there was something really exhilarating about it but not like, but then on the other hand I remember we did one of those nights that Frank Skinner was doing in the West End it was like in a thousand seater or something and we went on and did a sketch about the two different psyches of Carol Vorderman straight after Michael McIntyre. <laughs> the Evening Standard said it was the low point of the, the evening. Yeah, but, you know, the Evening Standard has done all kinds of dodgy things in its career. How dare it speak it was to us? A contrast of going on after McIntyre and doing, a, you know, something so weird, like the idea of Carol Vorderman having two, two psyches. You know, that's such an interesting no I was going to say I remember once uh, my first ever Edinburgh show I was doing a maybe my second sorry but one of them one of the early times uh, I was doing a preview a double header preview at Newbury Golf Course uh, and I was on first and Michael McIntyre was on second and um, I'm not going to say who had the better gig um, <laughs> but I will say that after I came off uh, one of the longest hours of my life he came up to me and went, oh, I wish I could do what you do. I wish I could do what you do. All I can do is make people laugh and laugh and laugh hilariously for hours. But I wish I could do what you do. You're so brave. Oh. <laughs> um, Katie, I want to talk about your book more because I love the writing of it and I found it really relatable. Um, and really, um, I think it's something that is very something that we've made yourself quite vulnerable and shared a lot in it and um I wanted to ask you like how that felt writing that as opposed to uh, the kind of comedy that you've written in the past and do you feel like it's the same thing like how was that in a way 
I guess like we were talking about at the beginning about um, I just kind of knew that I had to be always doing something creative and then I'd sort of be okay. Like I really feel like it keeps me together as a person if I'm doing something. And so in some ways it feels like it all comes from the same place because it's just to do with self-expression and um, it feels like comedy is, as much as I love it, like as I get a bit older, and also as these kind of, you know, difficult things I'd been through, it kind of felt suddenly like comedy wasn't quite the right way to explore this. Because I would sort of try to put things in scripts and that wasn't quite the right form. Like I needed a place to maybe try something a bit more grown up and have a bit more time and a bit more depth to it, to be able to explore kind of, you know, complex emotions and, um, for some reason, yeah, comedy didn't, I think I lost my sense of humor for a couple of years as well, if I'm honest, because I think that's what happens when, when there's sad things going on. Not to everyone, but that's definitely what happened to me. So it kind of felt a bit like freedom to not always have to be like, what's the funny bit? How many jokes per page? It really felt like freedom to sort of go, well, there's other human experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes, but it almost felt like the okay. Here's a joke for the reader. Something for me. Joke for the reader. That <laughs> <laughs> I'll sort of go. Hmm. I'm going to indulge in this thought. Um, but I think that there was all. It's always like I can't help but um, make jokes as well. I think. But it was nice to be able to, yeah, do something with a bit more. A bit that felt a bit more thoughtful and reflective. But, with, but also the, almost like a rebellion as well against all it about of, of doing comedy for a long time. It's kind of a rebellion a bit. Um, and also just, um, it's, I feel like recently I've been in a lot of other people's stuff, which I'm very grateful for, but there's that feeling of wanting to be like an author in every sense. Mm. Um, yeah, like, because I didn't think I was a particularly opinionated person going into this or had any strong it's like forcing yourself to be authoritative was like a really good exercise for me because there's nothing more authoritative than your voice for 300 yeah. pages or whatever so that felt that's been really good it's really helped me well it goes back to what you were saying about school about like having drummed into you that you weren't supposed to put your head above the parapet yeah. and you weren't supposed to be the one seeking yeah. attention and also like the process of writing it for the first six months, I just read because I needed to figure out how to write and what I liked. And before this, I just- Oh my God, what did you read? What did you enjoy? Oh, I'll tell you, I love talking. Well, well, I was gonna say like before my reading was really, I didn't, I wouldn't, like I didn't do an English degree. I felt like, um, like huge amounts of, um, uh, yeah, imposter syndrome and, I just sort of read the things that were on reading lists. So to work out that actually that's not quite my taste and to find all these. Well, I guess what really inspired me was like Maggie Nelson, I became obsessed with. I read a lot of young American sort of, oh, sorry, someone at the door, they've gone. Um, the poet... That was the fastest game of knockdown ginger ever. <laughs> I, I've lost my nerve. Just run awake now, run away sooner. <laughs> my, my agent. Um, like people like Joy Williams, Anne Boyer, the poet I'm really obsessed with. Um, I read a lot of, uh, yeah, like women writers writing about their lives. I found it really inspiring. It gave me permission to write about like the small things and think that maybe they're interesting to somebody. And and, be, and also just the style of writing. Going in, I thought you, I just had to try and convince people that I was smart or that I had to try and think of the longest word or the most difficult sentence structure. And I completely realised that's not what good writing is anymore. So yeah, I feel like I learned a lot, really. It is, well, also it's, it's self-discovery too, isn't it? It's, it's Yeah, it's like a dialogue, I guess, with that, if that doesn't sound too pretentious. Not at all. Yeah, like a constant dialogue and a sort of puzzle and a dialogue is how it felt. For these two and also it was like somewhere it was like a valve to release the stress of life like to always almost like a little diary to go back to this document on the computer and be able to write and know that no one was there weren't producers going to be putting lines through it and there weren't it's so direct it's such a yeah I really enjoyed that and the, the publisher has kind of let me 
there's been so much more creative freedom than, I, than I've ever known what to do with in my life, which is really scary. But I kind well, of... I when you were writing shows, you were writing them with another person, which is in itself a form oh, of like yeah. compromise mediation. Actually, that's true. Edinburgh shows are completely... That was completely... That's the last time, maybe. Yeah, doing stuff with Anna, that felt that free. Yeah, there is that too, because I was so used to writing with someone. It's almost like if something doesn't work, you can secretly blame them in your head. And this... <laughs> So like there's no one else there's no one else that that's that's there was a lot of procrastination because of that that sense of there's nowhere to hide did you find it what about in terms of when you do return to the past and knowing this kind of that we are all unreliable narrators just to yeah. the nature of the way the brains as you started writing and you saw these memories become you know turn more become more tangible did you find sometimes as you were revisiting was there was there something useful or was there something, you know, or how often was it disturbing as you went further into details and you were able to build up that memory again? Um, yeah, I, when I had a little break from it and then came back to it to do sort of, you know, tidying up and, and edits and stuff, to see it all together, I thought, oh, fucking hell, this is really bleak and really sad. And then sort of panicked. And then it felt upsetting afterwards. I think when I was in the middle of it, I was seeing it as just like a piece of work. I felt really detached from it. Um, it's only more recently that it's been affected me more emotionally. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't upsetting to remember. Maybe because I've had a lot of therapy, so I'm so used to like, I'm so used to going over stuff that I could really compartmentalize this bit. Of um, and also I felt like it wasn't me. I felt like it was a narrator quite often, which is weird. And I don't know if that's a performance thing. Um, like the monologue in my head as I'm writing feels really like performative, and like a storyteller. It didn't really feel like I was confessing this great thing. It felt like I was like in control and deciding to tell. But it was always it was. I can't remember. Do you know the poet Rebecca Goss? I think her name is. Um, she wrote an amazing essay in the, one of the poetry reviews about, I think she'd written about the death of one of her children. Sorry, this is so heavy and potentially triggering for someone. But um, she talks about like uh, wanting to force people to listen to what happened to her in this almost like juvenile way. And I did feel a bit like that. It's almost like I wanted to force people to sort of witness something. And, the world must understand. Yeah, and to say, actually, this isn't funny. This is not funny. <laughs> and, um, yeah, some sort of weird need to, like, document it and understand it. Um, yeah, and I, d I don't know if I've done that, but it has helped. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. what the question was. No, so I'm, I'm just I'm always in that, that because at the start of the book again I mentioned this earlier, but just that that sense that I think quite often when people start writing their stories, they have as you as you mentioned this. Uh, who am I to feel that I have a story to tell? Who am I to and and that seems to be some of the most interesting books that I've read, whether they're turned into fiction or whether they're memoirs. You can see there's a battle with someone going. You know that, that that voice that always goes. But so many people have had something else happen to them, and so and why do I? And, and I think part of that battle then often brings out some of the 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 stories that create the most contact with people. Because I think most people believe, or many people believe, you know, oh something happened years ago. It might be all manner of different things. It's that what's that that theory called again? I can't remember. There's two different you know the different ways that children can sometimes react to. I remember talking to Philippa Perry about this. And, and she talked about the fact that things, for instance, in childhood, sometimes something that might be very minor when it happens to a four-year-old, it doesn't matter that written on the page, it was quite minor. It yeah. is something which has... A, and then sometimes things that are very big, people can still go, oh, but it was a very long time ago. Yeah. And wh why do I have the right to... And I think that that seems to be a battle which creates, in, in the world where people aren't writing books, in the world where you know it creates so much pain and that you're able to write a story and you're able to put that down, and that becomes this connection i know that sorry that's a very rambling way to say about i, I just find it really interesting it, it's always the thing that i turn to which is this battle between who we are on the outside and what is going on on the inside and how many people you look at them and you think i just don't know how happy they are and i wish they could talk yeah it's like trauma's relative i guess yeah absolutely and and i um 
yeah I've really learned to uh I don't know how to say it without sounding really American but I think those small feelings matter don't they and um I guess all feelings are valid is what I'm saying but um, uh yeah like yeah absolutely and I suppose it does it is quite a therapeutic thing but um I I've really like I don't find that small that that the small intimate details about people's lives boring at all I think what I find boring is the opposite like like action films or whatever like like boring to me than you know silence (laughs) I I think a lot with stand-up when I see someone come on stage and say the whole world is like this and we all do this and and speak as if they are the objective uh, assessor of the world I find it so dull when I see someone on stage talking beautifully about a detail of their day but it's right and it's true that's so much more interesting and deeper far deeper who someone said something like the more specific the more universal and that really was like one of my mantras I think I can't say it you know being specific I really have like grown to love that as a thing I think that really helps um reading Annie Baker you know the, the playwright who I'm obsessed with is has also really helped me develop that that style of these like these mini tragedies that are just happening in a cinema these tiny things what of her work would you most recommend to people well I I well I I I went on Celeb Mastermind and answered questions on her on her and I had to fight so much to do it but they let me finally um so I've just had like the joy of having to reread them all for, for John Humphreys um well I think yeah I think she's amazing she won the Pulitzer for a play called The Flick which was just three people in a cinema and it was three hours long I'd start there her play John is also incredible they've all been on at the National the past sort of few years I discovered her by accident and um I've just never seen someone handle the small details of people's lives in such a like incredibly detailed realistic intimate like delicate way and they become these, you know, like you're on the edge of your seat over these tiny details of people's lives. And I just, I love that. I'm, I'm all in for that. Um, and also I think it's good writing to realize what your own um, your limitations are. And there are so many things I read that I know I'll never be able to write like that, but to feel like I've gotten better at one aspect that I can do this is that feels good. That's what George Saunders, I've just been reading his most recent book that I'm obsessed with and I've been talking about for a week (laughs) at least, but like um, he, uh, his book is about writing short stories and what it means. And he says that what you do in finding your own work and writing your own stuff is you discover your own little shit hill and it's yours and you go, would you know what? It's, it's mine. Yeah, keep going. It won't be a shit. Like, not I'm saying yours is because it absolutely isn't. But I felt that way when I saw that about my work. I was like, but it's this idea that like you find what is yours and you nurture that, and you know that you you know much as when you start out, you wish you were X writer or Y writer, but through writing, you discover which writer you are. Yeah, it's it's also like discovering what one's taste is. Is also yes, because before I just really um, would like we were saying about people watching Stuart Lee I think I I wouldn't have had the confidence to say I don't really like that if it had won an award or if the other one everyone else I just wouldn't I didn't or if feel people recommend it. stuff and it seems to be the thing you're supposed to like yeah and uh find like yeah just obscure writers that I I love so much to be like oh I like this I like this and other people like this too that's fine there's um, also a fear, isn't there, in terms of like sometimes when you mention writers that the, we do live in a culture where the fear of being considered to be pretentious, even though there's nothing pretend about genuinely liking or but that and the, and it does seem there's this awkward balance between 
you have what a kind of popular mainstream and then quite often in the area which can be lumped in with pretentious it is actually filled with people writing really pretentious things about it and that bit that just says because I, I think of the number of artists that i was kind of scared of because i thought i wouldn't be able to get them because you read these highfalutin essays with with you know many syllabled words that you have to keep looking up much like you know tony hancock reading the uh, history of western philosophy in that episode um <laughs> though we shouldn't have had to look up that many things in the dictionary i'm not i don't think i'm at that level of that character there i understood a lot of the first page of uh, the history of western philosophy um then it went downhill but that bit of finding that kind of that that bit of going it's okay to like these things it's not pretentious and also i don't have to talk about it in any other way than say this gave me joy this gave me some sense of an attachment to a story this gave me and i find it, it it's a very the see that 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 middle ground world is is quite a difficult world to exist in because sometimes you go to a book festival I'm sure you might have had, you know, both of you have had that experience where everyone's talking in this way that you just go, oh, God. And I think another thing about Atwood in particular is, and you go, ah, oh, well, they're not for me. And then you go to the bar where people have just watched Mrs. Brown's Boys and you go, well, I definitely don't fit in here either. So where am I? You know, Will Self is over there and, uh, you know, Roy Chubby Brown's over there. And the, I don't know, this bar is a terrible bar. What are they both? There's going to be a fight, definitely. Sorry, this scenario has become far more ridiculous. Can you bring in one of your goats that you talked about now just to get this whole situation over and done with? But uh, sorry, what I'm basically saying is I think there is this awkward ground where you can love things and then at the same time feel that you can't express anything about them because you will always be in the wrong, either by the highfalutin or those who consider yourself to be trying to attain highfalutinness. Yeah, I... One of the things I kept coming back to was, well, I think I know how to move people, but I won't know how to make this smart. And that was like, I thought I can do that, you know? Like, I just tried to focus on that then... Like I really tried to learn a bit more sort of technique and think about it in a pretentious way, but yeah, I don't know. That wasn't really an answer. But, I, but it wasn't really a question, to be honest. It became a lengthy scenario for a sketch show that's not going to be made by me. These terms I know are really outdated and horrible, but the thing I've always loved and the people I'm really close to, I think, love this too, of this combination of like low and high art together is like my dream because I will... And nothing in between as well. It's the same with food for me. It's like I would like to eat at McDonald's or beautiful restaurants, but I don't want anything in between. Like I, I will, my, like one of my best friends, what I love about them is that we can talk about Virginia Woolf and Gemma Collins like together. And that's my dream. That's my dream <laughs> conversation. Um, yeah. So I, I've got a friend, um, a friend I grew up with who always like accuses me of being snobby. And he like, he, just, he doesn't read. And I always, I think this is what you were just saying, but I always say, but like, this is genuinely what I love. I'm not lying. <laughs> this is your, this is your problem. But that's a hard thing. And it's similar to things we've been talking about already is this feeling that you don't quite fit in with the mainstream, but it's not deliberate. It's yeah. not an affectation and it's not done out of some sort of superiority. It's just... Yeah. who you are and what you like yeah and it's like I mean I've done so many things I'm ashamed of that I did for money and I get that as a consequence of that I certain people then might follow me on Twitter who might be like why are you you know why why have you now done this why are you talking about poetry or something um and I don't uh I think it's taken me this long to just be a bit more honest about what I like a bit braver it's not trying to be something else it's just being like more honest about what actually interests me mm. and that feels good yeah but also it's very privileged like you know I I can afford to take a few months to write something you know that's that's a isn't it isn't I think it's important to try and be honest about who you are and what you love no matter what your life is like and I think it's important to try and fight for that I don't think it's a case of you know you had time to write you know I, I just I don't know this is definitely taking us to a different place but I feel like if we don't talk about stuff let's flats before the end of this I'll be really gutted go on then I love the show I love your character in the show so much I love every character in the show I feel like I'm in really low energy and I'm talking oh, really god slow. not at all 
we no, we the recording we do quite a long recording and then we speed it up slightly so it's a, th this is this 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 three hours of recording is sped up and it's only 20 minutes so you sound just like you're it's as, like the as, chipmunks yeah you basically sound like you know the gums of marquis smith used to sound <laughs> lovely um, but Katie... lack of energy thing that that's just the norm right now it's just 2021 like we all know it but also it's not how you've been Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say, you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle-tattle that dropped out of our mouth. Um, so now, with Stuff Let's Flats, I love it so much. I'm so excited for the next series. Has it already been shot? Is it about to be shot? No, no, I think we, we're filming in about um, the summer, basically. I can't remember. I think it's still being, you know, it's the summer. Occasionally, Jamie sends me like, he'll just WhatsApp me a few lines of dialogue because I guess he's writing at the moment. I'm like, it's so exciting. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this is incredible. Although, How did you develop your character? Was it the case that when you got the script uh, to audition, it felt there on the page or was it the case that you workshopped it or? He, he, he I think we spoke on the phone about it first. And I guess we have like all the same references. And he was talking about those sort of women you get on The Apprentice. And I was like, got it. And um, yeah, because we have that kind of language because we love the same, we have all the same references, I think. So that was kind of like, oh, I get it. And I get his sense of humor. And then it was like a, a it was like a couple of hours of, yeah, like of workshopping it. And it was just, I just remember being really, just making each other laugh a lot and it feeling so kind of, amazing I remember there was about 20 minutes where we had an improvised conversation in character about what tattoos we had and what tattoos we were going to get and I just remember it was like incredible the stuff he was coming out with like I can't remember if any of it was in the first series but I think he was saying he was going to get like a picture of <laughs> a picture of his son on his neck when he when he had a child <laughs> and, I, and then like my character had like Nan written like where a tramp stands or to have like Nan somewhere really <laughs> so weird <laughs> that was like the main thing that that nailed it it was like okay these two characters can talk for half an hour about what what tattoos they want mm -hmm. um, but I remember uh, oh god how did I say this about sounding really I mean well to be honest like I just I know that a lot of, I think every, there were so many people I think who would have killed to be in it. I think day one on set, like me and Dustin were saying, it was it, it was like, I felt so, so nervous. It felt like things like this don't come along very often, you know, that really make you laugh and feel so original and creative and weird. And it just- And itself as well. So deeply rooted in itself, like its own voice. Yeah, yeah, completely. And just small things like, um, like I was thinking about like the way James, like the way Staff is with Al, with Al's character. <laughs> and I feel like in sort of lesser hands that would have been like the rival. And it's just for no reason, he just loves this guy. <laughs> and that's so nice. Like to just be like, and this character, I just love, I just praise them all the time. And we don't even just like really so bland. <laughs> like that just was so in love rather than like, ugh, you know. Yeah. And it could so easily be that, exactly. It's it's not the easy route. Yeah, I love, I love just little touches like that. Um, yeah. But I'm so excited to find out what happens and I just love it so much. And I, I love your character. I love all the characters. I, I, and I agree with you. I think it's a really rare thing. And I'm so glad that it's been made. Yeah, me too. And and um, it was funny, like when it, when it, with the Baptist thing, it was really, cause I guess it was still quite obscure. I wouldn't say it was, I mean, I don't really know how you judge these things, but I just remember seeing a lot of people on Twitter being like, what, what is this? And I thought that's, I like that, you know, everything else you definitely heard of. And it felt like that was the show people wouldn't have heard of. Cause I mean, obviously this isn't, you know, it means nothing to me, but I don't think it got like the viewing figures of, I don't know. I think well, it's like whenever no, no. I watch a reality TV show, the contestant I want to win does not win. And occasionally, once in like every five years, the contestant I want to win wins. Yeah, feels... politics. <laughs> yeah, I wish it could be politics. Believe me, believe me. But we have to deal with reality TV. But like when it does happen, I feel like, oh, my God, we've yeah. done it. We've done it. Yeah, That's exactly what happened on with the BAFTAs. Yeah, it was like this rarely happens. Yeah, yeah. 
Have you hurt your... I have, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to be... I've hurt something yesterday. Yeah. This has moved very quickly from the kind of young, <laughs> exciting conversation to basically a, a reboot of Last of the Summer Wine, which is wonderful. This is <laughs> what we've been waiting for for a, for a very long time. Yeah, um, and both of you, like like everyone else, are sort of doing yoga and stuff during yeah. lockdown, trying to be... Only this January. I'm doing yoga with Adrian every day in January, and it has helped. Adrian, but I've never hurt myself more than me trying to do stuff at home. It just feels like, is this worth it? I hurt myself all the time. Mm. That's sad. I'm just kettlebells. Feel... Oh, yeah. Robin's actually quite a fitness head. I just do kettlebells and all that stuff. Yeah. You're a fitness head. Yeah, but it's actually, but it's not really. But it's that thing which is, it feels so much, you know, when something is so much against the personality that you feel you've created over 45 years for me. Neither of you have had that time to do that. But, and it feels like when I started doing it, because when I was touring with Brian Cox, uh, he brings along very nice Steph, who's his kind of like trainer and assistant, all that stuff. And so he'd be like, now we need to go to exercise. And I think he thought, one, I'd probably opt out of it, or two, I would die almost immediately. Um, and yeah. uh, and then it turns out that because I carry a lot of heavy books around all the time, I've got an inner core strength. I've got an Oxfam based inner core strength, which has allowed me to so far still not die. That could be a workout DVD, Oxfam based inner core strength. Well, that's what those kettlebells are. Every time that I do them, I think that would normally me be going, oh, look at that. That's a beautiful old leather-bound book. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm reach for the book and pull the book down and put the book back. That's what I'm doing. It's all book based. Yeah, I've been told weirdly I've got quite a strong back. But I don't know how that happens. Just I love a strong back. Nothing else. And I wonder if that is like years of back for backpacks. But I've always yeah. worn a rucksack and I've got nothing back there. Did you ever work with a conjurer as well? If you used to have to do that thing where they pull the chairs away that often, did you do that? That was it. Because when we saw that terrible juggler, you then went on and did that conjuring act and used to balance on that chair. Download my CV and check. <laughs> oh yeah, Las Vegas, nineteen ninety-seven to ninety-eight. In my sleep, I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wake up and you think I don't feel well rested. Yeah. <laughs> what happened there? Another of those dreams with Joe Wicks in it, it was awful. Every um, time I pick up my daughter, which is a thousand times a day, she weighs twelve kilos. I always internally say to myself, "Squat with twelve kilos weight." <laughs> Every time. Physio because of my neck and I which I think is again like partly typing in a shit position and that's that, the book has killed my body I'd like to say so I hope it's worth it but um I found out that I'm sleeping in the worst possible position you what's that sleep. um like no I was, gonna, I was gonna make a joke standing on one leg <laughs> yeah like a headstand um well it's like it's like uh it's like the re in the recovery position on my stomach Ooh, wow. I sleep like that and I have done all my life and he was like how he was like I'm amazed you're not you don't have a serious problem so that's that's not helping me sleep I'll be honest I don't know sorry it's just nice to you know be sociable nice to chat isn't it well it's lovely to find out <laughs> Well, um, we, be we better actually end it now because otherwise, uh, in terms of at least the, the, the podcast, otherwise Trent's got two hours to edit. And even if we speed it up really quick. No, don't be sorry at all. I just suddenly thought that if this is because this is the social moment of the day. So it's quite nice. With the last one. Sorry. No, I, ju I just that's what it is because I haven't spoken. To, I didn't speak out loud yesterday to a single human being. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I find that with leaving the house. When I then leave the house and go to the shop, my mind can't take it. My mind's like, look at all these colours. Yeah, yeah, everything's fascinating. Like the post office is the most fascinating place I've ever been in my life. Mm. Anyway. See, I'm getting worried that if the... Because I'm so long not doing live gigs now, and so long not doing what we, you know, in particular, I suppose, Josie, you and me, you know, what we do the whole of our life. And then the next thing I'm meant to be that hasn't been crossed out of my diary is the tour I'm doing with Brian Cox. And I feel that being the bloke who comes on to interrupt him in front of 10,000 people might be too much of a straight in there with a, uh, <laughs> a gig. I'm genuinely worried, thinking we really need to have a run up to this. There's no way, especially because I'm not really on, you know, I'm the bloke who just turned up to spoil it. It's not like the bloke they've come to see. That's not so true. that is going to be quite a... Uh, 
Guys. I hope that's not going to happen. I won't tell them like this. We need a couple of like, London bus tours to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the left. Um, guys. That's a great idea. Just for two weeks before, can I lead tours around the Science Museum? That would be great. Thank that you. Love it. Thank you. Okay. It's well, a pleasure to talk to you, Katie. It was, it was so nice to chat. I We... Um, yeah, I hope it was enough about the book. I don't know. I'm not very good at it. Well, well, I'll tell you what, we'll do it now. Delicacy is out now or is out very soon. Always been out for ages, depending on when you're listening to this. But it's out on the 15th of April. It is a very beautifully written book. And it is and it's such a that 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 use of what I love is those sudden chapters, which are just incredible. They're almost a haiku of a cake. You know, those little moments mm -hmm. that suddenly just and it, it, it's it, it really carries you through so many different things. And I think yes, it's, it's, so it's been it's such an interesting there's so many people we've had on recently who, or, or people who've come that sense of performing and thought, well, hang on a minute, these aren't stories that I can perform. Yeah, you know, recently we had Alan Davis on, you know, and Alan couldn't talk about the things that, you know, that he, he said, oh, I feel almost bad that I didn't talk about it in stand-up. But you go, well, stand-up was the way to get there, though. So it yeah. still had an incredible purpose or performance, whatever it might be. So, it's a, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, I would recommend it highly to everyone, Delicacy. Thank you. Lovely. It's so kind, thank you. You're worth it now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, thank you very much to Katie for joining us, and thank you to our producer, Trent Burton. Go to cosmicshambles.com where you'll find loads of new stuff out there, including a, a series of conversations I've had with people such as the astronaut Nicole Start and Tim Minchin and Neil Gaiman and Francesca Tavrokopoulou and Andre, and uh, all about meaning and purpose in life. There'll be another book, Shambles, very, very soon. You really did there a go. good comprehensive one there. That was all done, all done. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles, where you can go to support the show. 20 extra minutes of conversation this week. Find out all about uh, the night Robin and Katie were with Noel Fielding and a tin of biscuits and some poor juggling. It'll make sense if you listen to it. Rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts. Back next week with a brand new episode. I believe next week's episode we will be joined by the most recent winner of the Booker Prize, Douglas Stewart, to talk about his Booker Prize winning book, Chuggy Bane, amongst other things. So we will see you then. Have a great week and stay safe. Bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Yeah.